chapter 4, Hebrews 4 and verse 14. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that has passed into the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly under the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Father, this morning settle us in your presence and may your spirit cause us and enable us to love the Lord Jesus Christ more and more every day, to serve you and to worship you, to praise you, to exalt you, to bless you, to magnify you, to lift you up, Lord, and to proclaim you as King of kings and Lord of lords above all that we are and all that we have. Father, we realize that in you we live and move and have our being and that every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variableness and neither shadow of turning. Father, you're good and you're kind, you're compassionate, you're gracious, you're long-suffering toward us and we thank you and we praise you and we lift you up and magnify you and bless you because, Lord, there's none beside you. There's none to compare to you. There's none like unto you. And, Father, we know that you're the God of all spirits and the God of all flesh. You're the God of all creation, creator, maker, keeper, and sustainer of all things. And so we come to you, Father, knowing, Lord, that you are omnipotent and omniscient and omnipresent. Lord, you know all, see all, hear all, and, Lord, you're in and through all. And, Father, you are all-powerful, enough to change our circumstances, our trials, our troubles, and our tribulations. So this morning, Lord, we ask you, Lord, to settle each and every one of us in your house, in your presence. And we'd ask you to bless your word unto our hearts and glorify your precious name. We ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen. You know, since we've looked through so much, I want to just move almost, as it were, completely on to something else. And, and sorry, obviously, we couldn't do a recap over seven previous weeks. Paul says that we have, in verse 15, we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted, like as we are, yet without sin. Now, we know that the old covenant sympathy, sympathy is to come alongside to encourage, come alongside to help, and we know what sympathy is. And of course, we can sympathize with people in mourning where we come to help them, to, to try and encourage them, send them sympathy cards when loss of a loved one and so on. And we come alongside to try and strengthen them, to bless them and to lift them up. But empathy is when you've walked in someone's shoes and you know exactly what they're thinking. You know exactly how they're feeling. You know exactly what they're going through. And Almighty God, now it's not that there's two gods. There's one God. It's not there's an Old Testament God and a New Testament God. He is the same God, but he's revealing himself as he goes through time in our Bible. From Genesis, of course, right through to the final revelation of the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. The fulfillment of all Bible prophecy. The fulfilled fulfillment of the law is in him. And when you and I are changed in a moment, the twinkling of an eye at his return. He'll set up his marvelous kingdom. And you and I, who are overcoming body of saints, washed in the blood, filled with the Spirit, continuing in faith, we'll find that we are there as, uh, to rule and reign with him. That'll be the culmination of all of these things as we go along through time. But in the meantime, from the death, the burial, the resurrection, and the ascension into heaven of the Lord Jesus Christ, you and I have what is known as a man praying in the glory for us. 
There's a man in the glory, a literal man in the glory. He's glorified now. And how that takes form or shape, we can't tell and we don't know. But you and I will be like him when he returns. And we'll be changed, as I said, in a moment. But this man stands in the glory and he shows the marks in his hands and the wounds in his feet and his riven side, as it were. And he stands before the Father, the presence of Almighty God, showing them, interceding, pleading for us on our behalf. And when you and I are going through difficult times, hard times especially, we find that this wonderful Christ is interceding to the Father. And so we come to the Father through him. Jesus said in John 14 and verse 6, I am the way, the truth and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. So here we have him interceding. And what he's doing, he's fulfilling what uh, happened in the New Testament was we had what was known as the Word of God. The prophets came and said about the burden of the Word of the Lord upon them, and they delivered it to Israel. So that Word which came was an intermediary between Almighty God the Father and Israel. That Word came. And that Word is what God's will is, mind is, what God's pronunciations are, what His judgments are, what His grace, His love, and His mercy are. So when we speak, we're telling people our mind. And God is able, as it were, to project himself forth. And then that word takes flesh. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the Son of God. And he is the Son of Man. So here we have this intermediary of God revealing himself to man. God coming down to man. Who's, who is, uh, finds himself with what's known as the depravity of human nature. And what is the depravity of human nature? It is the inability, the full, the total, the complete inability for man to save himself. So that means no matter what you do, no matter what you try, no matter how hard you work, no matter what denomination you're in, no matter if Israel went to the temple, they were unable to save themselves, even if they said, well, we are Israel. And no matter what you say today is the same. We are unable to save ourselves. And so in grace, the Father came in the person of his Son, and he bore our sins in Calvary. So he's ascended into heaven. Hear the word made flesh. The Son of God is in heaven, risen bodily, stands before the Father, and he intercedes for you and I as our great high priest. And the idea here is the sympathy that God gives when Israel are in the Old Testament is shown in a greater fashion in the empathy which Christ gives because God himself became a human being. You know, so, so God knows what it's like to feel weary, tired, thirsty, hungry because he became human in the person of the Lord Jesus. So God feels our humanity. So no matter what you're thinking, no matter how you're feeling, no matter your struggles, no matter your trials, no matter your upsets, no matter your anxieties, Christ has empathy for you because he knows what it feels like. Notice what it says in verse 15. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are. Every temptation you feel, every temptation you felt, Every temptation, every trial that comes your way, every pain, every suffering, the very shame that we feel at times, Christ has borne all of that 
in his body on the tree. He walked uh, uh, Galilee and Jerusalem and Samaria, Judea. He knows what it's like to be unwanted. He knows what it's like to be cast out. He knows what it's like to be scorned. He knows what it's like to be shamed. He knows what it's like to be talked about. He knows what it's like whenever people don't want him in their, in their homes or in their areas. He knows what it's like to have danger of assassination. Christ knows all of it. And he's thirsted like you and I thirst. He knows what that, what that parchment is, to be parched is like. He knows what hunger pains are like. He knows what bodily fatigue is like. He knows what the pain in the body is like. For he suffered pain when he hung and bled and died on the cross and was nailed hand and foot. He knows what it's like. When you're sitting the next time in pain, he knows what it's like. When you're sitting with a loved one in agony, he knows what that's like. He has entered into that. And that's why he died on the cross for us. And when he returns in fullness, there'll be no more pain, no more suffering. There'll be no more sorrow. There'll be no more hurt. There'll be no more agony. But in the meantime, he knows how you feel. He knows all about you, but he knows how you feel. This is the little saying I've brought a few times in the earlier messages about the Lord. As Almighty God, okay? As Almighty God, He knows all about me. But as a man, He understands me. And as Almighty God, He knows all about you. But as a man, He understands you. He understands our weaknesses and our frailties. And that's why he kept the law we couldn't keep. That's why he lived a life that you can't live. I'm not saying that we have to go and sin. You know I don't, I believe in living right for Christ. So you know what I mean in that. But he kept it all. Knowing our frailties and our failures. So we're told therefore, because of this, in verse 16, let us therefore, because of this, come boldly unto the throne of grace. We have looked at the word boldly and what that means. The word parousia. It means to come openly, to come honestly. Don't bring a parable and a proverb to God. Speak to him the truth of your heart. The knowing sins that we commit, for there are sins we don't know we commit and grace covers us. But the knowing sins, come before him with them. The knowing failures, come before him. The knowing bitterness of heart, come before him. The times that you're hurt, come before him. The things you can't, You can't throw off. Come before him. He knows how you're feeling. And he understands how you're feeling. So when you go before him, you understand that. We looked at at that in great detail. But in verse 16 it says, Let us therefore come boldly under the throne of grace. And there's a little verse I I just want to read before we go any further. And it's in Hebrews 10 and verse 20. It says that the Lord Jesus has, that he has left behind for us, as it were, a new and living way, which has been consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh. See the word a new and living way here. The words new and living way give the idea of a road paved with blood. 
I want to say it again. It gives the idea there's a road or there's a path and it's paved with blood. And not just blood which is dried in from 2,000 years ago, but freshly slain blood. It's as though the blood was shed just this very moment as we're sitting here. And when you're going home and you tonight maybe you're going in to pray and you're going to the throne of grace or tomorrow morning when you're going to work or whatever it may be, that, that blood is as though it's just been shed for you right there and then at that very place point in time. It's fresh. So the blood of Jesus, not that it's being shed over and over and over again. His sacrifice was once and for all and it will never be repeated again. But the power of the blood, the efficacy of the blood, the atonement of the blood, it's as though it was shed right now. God has recognized the blood that was shed for your sin, shed for your suffering, shed for your sicknesses, shed for you. That blood is as though Christ was crucified right in your midst that very moment. In other words, the blood stays fresh. The blood stays as though it's new, fresh blood. So when you're going in, there's no way that you will be able as a born-again, spirit-filled child of God, trusting in Christ's finished work on the cross, there's nothing, there's no way that anything can hinder you from coming to the throne of grace but yourself. But yourself. I can't come. Yes, you can God won't accept me. Yes, he will. Strange, yesterday, after we'd done the, the, the stay awake with the youth and they stayed overnight in the church, I went home a, a bit earlier because I had to get up and get a bus over early and to port it down. Uh, a hired bus. And I drove in to try and get some diesel and as I was out, trying to work out how to open the cap. And this man comes walking across. He started talking about the bus. Ended up he was the owner of this, this garage. And he mentioned someone who came here. I'll not, I'll not go into details, but he says, I'm not sure who they are in our assembly. And he mentioned them again. And they came out of the shop. They worked there. And lo and behold, I knew them as soon as I seen them. They popped in a few times just, and that's why I didn't recognize them. But as soon as I seen them, I knew it. And I walked over and I said this person's name. He says, where are you? I haven't seen you. Are you going somewhere else? Are you doing okay? And they says, I hadn't really been going out. And I said, why? Well, I had a few hassles. My car broke down. I couldn't get to church. I says, well, sure, phone is. We'll get you out. He says, but what happened? I sort of stopped reading and praying. And I started drifting a bit. And to be honest, this person says, to be honest, it was a, a woman anyhow, but she says, to be honest, um, I, I sort of felt I couldn't come and I couldn't go to God. And I, I just felt I couldn't. She says, not that I'm getting up by anything. I just couldn't because of falling away and left it so long. And I just couldn't go into his presence. As if he wouldn't want me. I was standing in the forecourt of the garage yesterday morning. And I says, come here to I speak to you. And I walked off because there were cars driving around. us. were like a roundabout at that time then. And I says, came over to the side and I spoke to her. And I says, now you listen to me. That's a lie from the devil. He says, you come before him. He's, he's your father and you're his child. You come before him. 
and you're coming because the blood of Jesus was shed for you and still has the power today to enable you to come into the presence of the Father. Not because of you, because of Christ. And, the, and she lit up. She says, really? I says, yes, really. And I spoke to her for a while. And she says, that's it. I'm, I'm going to make that effort. I'm going to get myself back, uh, back, to, back to the Lord. And I, I just talked to her for a while. And, well, we talked about the things of God for a while. I got into the bus and I drove on. And I met Ian over as well he was here. And he came out and we started talking about past life experiences and what God has saved us from. Keep your powder dry and I might get you to testify someday about that. And what God has saved us from. And the temptations that can come to a believer even. Talking about how we overcome those temptations and trusting, leaning fully, completely, totally on Christ. And he'll bring you through. And how, no matter what, we, the words were, and if I remember what I said was, it's not the temptation that's the sin, for Christ was tempted in the wilderness. It's not the temptation, for Hebrews chapter 4 tells us, in verse 15, that he was tempted like as we are, yet he was without sin. It's not the temptation, brother, that you're feeling. It's not the temptation, sister, that you're feeling. That is the sin. It is the yielding to the temptation. And at times in our weakness, we do. All of us. But there's a throne of grace. There's a place of mercy for you to go to. There's a throne of grace. You know, it speaks of a new and living way which has been consecrated. It means there's a road which has been laid down or laid down which cannot be moved nor lifted up. It's consecrated. It's set by God for you and I. And it's as though it's shed or it's, it's covered completely in fresh blood. That's the idea of this new and living way. There's a, a little Old Testament type of it in Second Samuel chapter 6. We'll not read it all, but you can read it when you go home. And David before had tried to bring the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem, but the, they put it on a new cart and they were driving the new cart with oxen and they're bringing it into Jerusalem and the cart uh, hits a rock or whatever, stumbles a bit, and, the, and the, the, the Ark of the Covenant rocks and Uzzah puts his hand forward to steady uh, as if God needs his hand steady to steady the ark, and God smites him. And David doesn't want this in Jerusalem. Oh, the fear of the Lord, you see, is the beginning of wisdom. And he thought, you know, I, I really, truly, I need to think about this. We do not mess about with the things of God, he says. If I mess about with the things of God, God's going to take me into the woodshed. In other words, God's going to get out the four by two and bend me over his knee and give me that good chastisement that I need. And David says, take it out. And there's a man called uh, Obed-Edom or Obed-Edom. And he isn't even an Israelite. He's an Edomite. And he takes the Ark of the Covenant, brings it into his house. And he starts ministering everywhere for God. And when he starts ministering everywhere, God keeps blessing him. God just pours out blessing upon him. And everyone in Israel are looking at this man, Obed-Edom or Obed-Edom. And they're looking and they're saying, how can an Edomite be blessed by God? He's not even of Israel. Get that ark back into our nation. We need to be blessed back in our nation. 
That would be our cry for our nation. We need God's presence back in our nation. But David learns you do not mess about with the things of God. And he says, Lord, how are we to do this? And he realizes that through the writings of Moses, inspired by the Spirit, that the priests were to bear the ark upon staves on their shoulders. And David learning this, we're told in 2 Samuel 6 and verse 12, that David has the ark being carried in. And the musicians are praising God. And as they're walking, every six paces, I'll try and get enough room here. These are small paces, okay. One, two, three, four, five, six. Slayed an animal. And the blood was all over the floor, all over the road. And they've done one, two, three, four, five, six, another animal. One, two, three, four, five, six, another shed animal. Blood. And one, two, three, four, five, every six paces. They got an animal and this blood was poured out all over the road. Now people may say, how barbaric that the blood of an animal had to be shed. Little animals and their blood shed. What sort of a a God is that that has blood to be shed? Do you know why there's the shedding of blood? Do you know why the blood was shed from the Lord Jesus' veins too? Do you know why the, the Lord demanded the shedding of blood? Because it should remind you and I of the utmost depravity and the hatefulness of our sin in the sight of holy God. Oh, an animal's blood shed. Oh, oh another animal's blood shed. There's blood everywhere. It was on their feet. It was up their shoes or their sandals. It was on their legs. It was round their garments. And the people were squelching through a road filled with blood. Every six paces, an animal, animal's blood. Liters and liters and gallons and gallons of it. The whole way into Jerusalem. By the time they got into Jerusalem, the place was just a mass of people covered in blood. There is a a type, a foreshadowing of what Christ has done. I spoke to a man one time and he says to me, I think that's terrible. Imagine killing a wee lamb. He liked to eat them like you, but at the same time, I'm terrible shedding the blood of a wee lamb. This is me telling him the gospel. And I said, how can you see the horrific barbarity of of an animal's blood being shed. But yet when you see the Son of God hanging in agony and bleeding and dying on a cross with men gathered around him, shouting at him, cheering for more, putting a spear in his side, laughing at him and mocking him to scorn. And he's a human being and shedding on his blood, yet turn away from it. Oh, how upside down our, our people, our world, our society, our nation has it. How upside down we have it when we think it's horrific to kill a wee lamb, but it's okay to slay the Son of God and think nothing of it. You see, when Jesus' blood was shed, the new and living way which has been consecrated for us, it means the Father has sat down once and for all 
I want to say it and please get it into us because it's important as a Christian to understand when we go before the Father that when we say, I can't, when we say, God won't want me, God won't accept me, when we say, oh, I've come too, I've fell too far, I've, I've done too much or I've become too weak, realize we are, again, I said last week, bringing God down to the size of man. And God says, I have done this that you can't. Don't belittle don't be little brothers and sisters of the work of God and Christ. Christ's blood was too precious for us to say we can't. Christ's blood was that precious as for the Lord to say, now you can. Now you can. People come with their good works for salvation. People come with their churchianity and their religion and people come, is this me doing the best? I'm saved. I know you're not. <laughs> but when we come and we're blood-soaked, let me say it again, we're blood-soaked, we're blood-washed, we're blood-bought. There's a throne of grace, there's an open heaven. Let no one or nothing Keep you away from the presence of God. Do not belittle God's glory and what he has done on the cross. God's glory? Was that not God's agony? Yes, it was. But it's God's glory. This cross is a cross of glory. It's a cross of victory. It's a cross of blessing for you and I. And don't belittle it, nor the power of it, what Christ has done in order to keep yourself away from the presence of God. Of the Lord. There's a. One more point I want to look at. And we'll round this up. We'll wrap this up rather. And we'll do another week. So I want to take my time. There's been a lot of people. Who have been in contact with me. Both here and online. Um, David through the website. And also along uh, Facebook. And they're saying how. They're really being helped by this series so um, I feel I'm just going to keep going on in it I'm encouraging God's people to get into his presence I'm encouraging God's people to throw off the shackles that bind you to say you know if we say I, 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 I then we're bringing our, our own works into things we're, we're trusting in who we are or what we can do or what we have done but when we say I can, I can, I can, I can, I can I will, I will, I will not I can't we're trusting in Christ. We're knowing what he's done. We're understanding his great love for us. Notice this. Let your eye run down, please. To verse 16. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace. Why? Let us come without parable, without proverb. Let's be open and honest before God to the throne of grace. That we may notice obtain mercy. And find grace to help. I want to just look at this line for a few moments then we'll finish. See the idea here to obtain mercy. I've said it again. I want to say it. I've said it before. I want to say it again. Mercy and grace are like a twin track on the road to the kingdom. It's like you've got on the good, the, the, the good old train that you're, you know, you sing about the kids with, there's an engine, was it J-E-S-U-S, you know, and you're on that good road, you're on a twin track, real, and one is called grace and one is called mercy. The, real, the train sits on grace and mercy, or mercy and grace. 
And they run along together. For in other words, mercy is when we do not get that which we do deserve. In other words, when we do not get that which we do deserve is we deserved to be lost for eternity. We deserved to go to hell because of our sinful natures. It's not because of what you do. It's because of your very nature. That's what a lot of people can't get into their head. They can't get into their spirit. They can't get into their heart. That it's sinning doesn't make us sinners. We sin because we are sinners. In other words, it's in our very nature. We can't help ourselves. Our nature is to do those things. And so our nature, we need saved from our own nature. Because that's what causes the fruit of it. Sins are the fruit. Sin is the root. And the sinful nature that we have, in other words, we're born in shape and iniquity. And in sin did our mother conceive us. And so when we come through the birth canal and out into this world, we're already little sinners. Haven't done anything yet. But we're already little sinners. It's in our nature. So we need saved already from that. And the fruit is produced as we live our lives because we can't help ourselves and we live according to the course of this world. So we need saved from all of that. So we do not get that which we do deserve. To be lost without Christ, without hope. We deserve judgment. We didn't get it. We deserved to be left to our own devices and to die without Christ. We didn't get it. So that's mercy. Mercy has found us. You've failed the Lord and you've, you've went wayward or, or you've, went, you've sinned or you've backslid into the world for a while and you've come to the Lord looking for forgiveness. And you know, you, mercy is what you obtain because you do not get that which we deserve. We deserve the Father to say, no, you've walked away from me, on you go. No, you've sinned before me. I don't want to see you anymore. We deserve that. But mercy is there and we obtain it. We obtain it. For a a brief moment, look with me to 1 Timothy chapter 1. 1 Timothy chapter 1. Just get these two words briefly out and then that will definitely finish us for this morning. 1 Timothy, please, chapter 1. And... Let your eye run down to verse 12. And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who hath enabled me for that he hath counted me faithful put me into the ministry. Notice who was before. Who used to be in other words. Who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious. But I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. Here is where we Come to Christ that we are saved and we obtain mercy. We don't get that which we deserve because we're trusting in Christ. We're saved. Now I notice what it says in verse 14, on the grace, here's mercy and grace, and the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant. Isn't that beautiful? I mean, you can just sit and read that over again all morning. I would get a word like that sometimes at home and just sit and read it and then read it and read it and thank God for it and pray and read it again. Just a line like that. And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant. 
And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant. And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant. Think about it. Sinners. On a road to hell. Religious or non-religious. And here we find that mercy comes to us. And we do not get that which we deserve. But the grace of God over of our Lord was exceeding abundant. The idea is he kept coming and speaking to our hearts. And he came and he moved in our hearts and he moved in our spirits and he moved in our minds and he loved us and he loved us and he showed us our need of him and it was just exceeding abundant all over. Just kept washing over us. And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. Mercy, grace, faith, love. Tremendous, isn't it? We'll have to do a series or a study on that sometime. Here's mercy, grace, faith, and then love. Just kept loving us. This is faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation. Christ Jesus come into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Paul seen his need, knew his need. Even though he was a, a church leader, as it were, a Pharisee. Even though he was a Jewish uh, rabbi, if you want, he... He knew he was a sinner, tried to keep the law. He was so religious and he realized this isn't good enough. But you know, mercy came and exceeding abundant grace, faith and love washed over him. And that's what God does today. And that's what he's done for you. And he's done for me. Book of Ephesians, this will do us. Book of Ephesians. Notice what he says, chapter 2. Paul again. Paul says, And you hath he quickened or made alive, that is in the spirit, to recognize him, who were dead in trespasses and sins, where in time past you walked according to the course of this world. That was our old lifestyle. According to the course of this world. According to the, to the prince of the power of the air. This, uh, this is the devil he's speaking of. The spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. Among whom we also had our conversation in times past. In the lusts of our flesh. Fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And were by nature. In other words, look at the word nature's fusus. Or lineal germination. It gives the idea of our descent from Adam. Because we were Adam's race. Adam's descendants. He says, because Adam fell, we all fell. And we're by nature. We took Adam's germs. We were the children of wrath. Wrath came upon Adam. And death came upon Adam. And that wrath followed right down. And it's like we sang that song earlier. And say, when the death dew lies cold on my brow. That came from Adam. Praise God in Christ. If ever I love you, my Jesus is now. Death came from Adam, his fall. Verse 4, notice we're under that wrath. We're under that nature. Verse 4, but God, praise the Lord. But God, brother. But God, sister. But God, friend. That's who you are. That's who you were if you're a Christian. But God, 
In other words, we were lost, but God. We were on a road to hell, but God. We were addicted to drugs, but God. We were addicted to alcohol, but God. We lived a life of waste, but God. But God, but God. And if it wasn't for a but God, we'd still be lost. But God. Salvation is all of him coming to us, shedding his blood, consecrating a new and living way where you and I can fellowship with him every single day. Freshly slain blood, as it were, from Christ's veins. But God who is rich in mercy. The word rich in mercy here is, but God who is wealthy in the sphere. Notice that. God who is wealthy in the sphere of mercy. But God who is rich in mercy, he didn't give us which we did do deserve. Notice, for his great love wherewith he loved us. The term here for his great love wherewith he loved us, you know what way it reads? But God who is rich in mercy or rich, wealthy in the sphere of mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us or, this is what it reads, in order to satisfy his great love which he placed upon us. God's love was hovering like a bird at a nest. God's love was overcoming and overwhelming. God's love towards you was eternal from the very courts of heaven in eternity. And that love was pressing down on us and we didn't even know it, didn't even see it, couldn't recognize it. And that love, as it were, in human terms, I can't put it into God's terms, but that love, in order to satisfy it, it's as though, and I don't mean to be a reverend father when I say this, I'm trying to say this in the best way that I can put it to a human being, God's love would never be satisfied until he had you. That's the only way I can put this. In other words, he loved you and he loved you. It's like he loved you and he kept loving you in your sin and he kept loving you in the club and in the pub and he kept loving you when people were paramilitaries or women were prostitutes and he kept loving them and loving them. Kept loving me. Even when we were dead in sins, half quickened us or made us alive together. With Christ by grace he are saved. Notice he hasn't just left us. And hath raised us up together. And made us to sit in heavenly places. In Christ Jesus. That in the ages to come. Notice the ages to come. He might show the exceeding riches. Notice the words here again. Exceeding riches of his grace. And his kindness toward us. Through Christ Jesus. Then it goes on to say, For by grace are you saved through faith, and it not of yourselves is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Brother, sister, can you grasp this morning what it took for you to be saved? Can you really grasp the love of God toward you? That He wasn't giving up on you. You gave up on you. Others gave up on you. But He was never given up on you. He placed his love on us. It says he set his love on Israel. It gives the idea was he loved them and wouldn't lift it off. And he set his love on us and he wouldn't lift it off until he had you. And he loves you now in his son. 
and your love like his son. So you can come to the throne of grace. We're going to do more, God willing, next week. And you can pray and you can praise and you can worship and you can give thanks with a full assured heart knowing his great love for you. The blood has been shed and when you're coming, you're walking up that road with blood, as it were. And by the time you get into the place of prayer, the place of worship, the Lord looks at you and all he sees the blood of the Lamb. You're covered in the blood of the Lamb. God bless his word to our hearts. Time is flowing and we're going to go home.